good morning to you. It's uh, hopefully, hopefully you're awake now. It's, it's been, I mean, it's been a good service already. Stop now. You know I won't, but it's, it's good. It's good. This is, man, so good to see everybody here. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 17 in your, uh, in your, in your Bibles there. And uh, I'm pretty excited this morning. Uh, you can tell that, like, spring is on its way. We have flowers actually coming up at our house. Like, it doesn't, like, I think we just skipped winter. Like, it doesn't kind of feel like that here. We kind of mostly skip winter. Um, but here's the real reason it feels like spring is coming. Baseball is on the way. Come on. Come on. Winter's coming to an end. And uh, spring training is, oh, man, palm trees and baseball. It's great. Uh, years ago, the manager of a minor league baseball team had a center fielder who was playing so terribly, so terribly, that he pulled him out of the game, put him on the bench, and the manager went in to play center field himself. That's how bad the center fielder was playing. And the first ball that came into center field um, promptly took a bad hop and hit the manager in the mouth. Uh, the next was a high pop that he lost in the sun and uh, dropped right next to him. And then the third was a hard liner that came right at him like a ball just coming right at him, and it was so fast that he misjudged it, and it went by him to the wall. It was not good. So he was furious, and uh, he, he just stomps off the field, runs back into the dugout, grabs the center fielder by the uniform, and said, this is all your fault. You've got center field so messed up that nobody can do anything with it. <laughs> um, and here's the question. Have you ever had anybody blame you for something that's not your fault? <laughs> As today, there you go, today, uh, that, I mean, you are the target of their wrath, and you know you didn't even do anything, never, never happened to anybody, I mean, maybe, maybe it happened a couple times, now, you might not be perfect, right, you might not be perfect, but you certainly didn't do what you're being accused of, right, like, you, you I mean, maybe you gave them a little bit, but you, yeah, just this sense of blame, right, well, we're going back in the Old Testament, Moses had a couple of days like that where he got blamed for things he didn't necessarily do. So just to kind of to set up the story, after 400 years of captivity, remember the children of Israel, they're in Egypt, you know, you've seen the movie. Um, so they're there. Moses has this willingness to stand up to Pharaoh, right, to be the messenger of God, and the people of Israel get to walk out of Egypt, right, finally free. They're on their way to the promised land, a land of their own, and there's this journey to get there. Moses is like, he's done all this stuff for the people. I mean, he's really gone out of his way. Um, he was ready just to kind of live out his days in the desert. And instead, he's there trying to lead about a million people. And as they're there, as they begin with miracles, right, still fresh in their mind. If you go back one chapter, they had just experienced uh, manna. If you remember, manna was like this miraculous food that shows up and quail. So there's like, there's all these miracles. And they find themselves traveling through the wilderness and they encounter a problem. And instantly, Moses goes from being their hero to, like, public enemy number one, right? And as we read, I just want you to pay attention to who is responsible for the action and who gets blamed for it. Okay, so just, that's what we're looking for, right? Who, who did this and who's getting blamed? So Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 says this. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of Sin, that's how you pronounce that, not Sin, and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. 
give us water to drink, they demanded. <laughs> quiet, Moses. I love this. Like, quiet. I don't think he said quiet. Like, you can insert, insert what you would say in that moment, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, he says, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did, who? You bring us out of Egypt. And are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? And then Moses cries out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Okay, so who prompted the people to travel? God. God says, go out to where I'm leading you. I will lead you to travel. So they find themselves now in a place with no water. Water is kind of important, right? Rather than looking to God, now who are they demanding? Moses, right? They're demanding that Moses fix it. And Moses turns to God and says, what am I supposed to do? You led me here, right? God, you led me here. These people are angry at me. Have you ever had a day like that, right, where you did what you sensed God telling you to do? You did something that you felt like was the right thing to do, and now you're getting heat for it. Have you ever had that? You're trying to take the high road. You're trying to do something right, and you're getting blamed for something. In a moment, we're going to read how God responds, but I want to warn you in advance. The instructions that God gives to Moses here in this situation, they're nonsense. They're ridiculous. They're absurd. They're beyond the pale. They make no sense. So listen to what God tells Moses to do in this situation. Verse 5. The Lord says to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, which is like a shepherd's staff, like a stick, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. So if you remember back in Egypt, he struck the water and it turned to blood. And call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. And he says this, strike the rock and water will come gushing out and the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Now, let's just talk about a million people here, okay? That's a lot of people. And God doesn't send rain. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, I'm going to open the ground up and springs are going to bubble. I'm not going to make a river just show up out of anywhere. He says, Moses, I want you to hit the rock with a stick. Now, we've got this thing called hindsight bias, which means we know the story. And so since we know the story, we accept certain parts of the story as normal. But imagine hearing this for the first time. Imagine your kids are thirsty, and you say, go hit that rock with a stick. Has anybody ever experienced water <laughs> coming out of a rock, and not even a little bit, like enough to feed a million, uh, to, 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 to satisfy the thirst of a million people? So now let's put ourselves in Moses' sandals, right? Would you have a little skepticism here? God says to you, like, you're already here, and God says, Hit, hit, hit the rock with a stick. You know, I'd be like, do what now? These people are about to kill me, and you want me to stand in front of them, make it all dramatic, be like, get in front of everybody, and you want me to hit the rock with a stick. It's nonsense. There's not that kind of water in rocks. It's just not logical. And here's the crazy part, right? It worked. It worked. Water gushes out of the rock as the people look on, and not just a few drops, but enough for all the people. So I'm just trying to imagine, imagine what that looked like. I'm, I'm trying to think of like a fire hydrant, right? Like you, you, you knock off the thing and like that's coming out of the side of a rock. I don't know. I mean, it's enough water that everybody gets some. Think about that site. That had to have, keep going for a long time. That had been a lot of water coming out of this rock, right? So let's just ask a couple, a couple of questions for a minute. Let's pause. Do you think Moses ever would have thought of that? 
You'd be like, man, these people are thirsty. I should probably go hit a rock with a stick. Clearly, he's got no idea what to do, which is why he's so desperate. He's like, what do you want me to do? He didn't think of that. Did God have a solution? Yes. Okay. So why do you think God chose to direct Moses to do something so absurd and so nonsensical? Like, why didn't he tell him to do something more normal, more like, you know, hey, um, lead the people over here and there's a river around the bend, right? Like, why didn't he say that? Like, why, why do you think God had him do this? And it's an interesting thought, and, and I want to read a brief passage from 1 Corinthians, and actually, because of time, I'm probably just going skip to skip that, and I'm just going to summarize it. So you can read this later. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Okay, and I'm going to summarize it for you because it's a lot of verses, and for time's sake, I'm just going to kind of... But here's the deal. God says basically this. I choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He says, I intentionally do things that seem dumb and stupid. Because the people who are smart, then they'll go, wait, that doesn't make sense. Because the people who depend on their own wisdom will understand that there's not power in just their own understanding, but that it's me. That's what he's saying here. I choose intentionally the things the world thinks are foolish. I specifically choose that ridiculous stuff because I want people to understand it's me behind it. That's what he's saying here. God intentionally works in ways that defy human wisdom to prove he's the one doing it. Here's the thing. God is not foolish, but he chooses to make foolish things work, to wake up those who rely on human understanding. God chooses to prompt us to do things that seem like nonsense because they are nonsense. It's nonsense to hit a rock with a stick, right? He knows that, and it's on purpose to teach us to trust him and not ourselves. And here's the thing. It's different than normal nonsense. How many of you have seen nonsense in the past week from people? You said they've done things, and you go, that's just nonsense, right? You're doing such dumb things. I mean, we've talked about it that common sense isn't so common in our world anymore. People just do things, and you're like, what are you? That's just nonsense. What are you doing? What are you doing? We see it probably like most of our days. Yet there are times where God directs us when God will direct you to do things that seem like nonsense, except for the fact that God is behind it. And we're starting a new series today, and this is what we're calling it. We're calling it Holy Nonsense. Holy nonsense. And it's different because holy nonsense comes from God. And it's for the explicit purpose of confounding the wisdom of this world and helping us recognize the supremacy of God. Often we're going to be confronted by problems that are greater than our capacity to solve. There are issues in your life right now, things you're facing that are too big for you. Things that you can't figure out. And God has a solution for you. And what he may prompt you to do <laughs> may sound like nonsense. And yet it will work. Because it has nothing to do with the nonsense <laughs> and everything to do with trusting him. So I want to underline this. We can fast forward in Moses' life because there came another day when once again the people of Israel are wandering and they find themselves yet again without water. And as if they had learned nothing from the first time, they start to complain against Moses again. And they're like, hey, it would have been better if we'd never left Egypt. I hate you. What's wrong with you? And Moses is like, oh. So then again, Moses turns to God. Here we go. Numbers chapter 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron, right? Uh, Moses and Aaron there. They turn away from the people. They go to the entrance of the tabernacle. They fall face down on the ground. God shows up to them, and the Lord says to Moses, verse 8, you and Aaron must take the staff again, take that stick, 
and assemble the community as the people watch. What does he say? Speak to the rock. It says, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Did you catch that? More nonsense. When was the last time you just talked to a rock and water came out? And if you talk to rocks, we can have a different sermon for you, right? Speak to the rock. Now, do you think Moses was smart enough to pick up on the difference between this and last time? Most likely. So guess what Moses did? Verse 9, so Moses did as he took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Verse 10, then he and Aaron summoned the people to come together and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted, must we bring you water from this rock? Who? Must we bring you water from this rock? Verse 11, look what he says. Then Moses raised his hand, and what does he do? He struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This is so important. Moses, who does he claim is the source of the water this time? Himself. Must we bring you water? And instead of speaking to the rock, what does he do here? He strikes it again. What happens? Why do you do that? Now, Moses is not perfect, just so we know. He's uh, one of the heroes of faith, but Moses was a human. And he had forgotten that it wasn't about the rock. And it wasn't about any, he th- that it wasn't about him. That it was about the God who always provides. And it was never about striking the rock or speaking to it. It has nothing to do with the rock at all. The rock was irrelevant. The rock was just a, a, an accessory here. Nothing to do with the rock. It was always about the God who provides. God could have said, speak to the air, speak to that bird, speak to a chair. It doesn't matter. It wasn't the thing. But Moses forgot that. Now, even though Moses missed it, in his goodness, God provided water because the people needed water. But because of his disobedience, because he forgot, because Moses sought to take credit for being Israel's provider, it cost him the chance to finish the job. Moses never set a single foot in the promised land. Not one. Putting up with all those people, not one. When God prompts us to do some holy nonsense, it has nothing to do with the nonsense and everything to do with the holy. This isn't about rocks or water or people. God's not trying to build Moses' faith in rocks. He was building Moses' faith in him. When things work, here's, here's the thing. When things work, when the nonsense of God works, We can get so enamored with the method that we assume God must be in that way we did something. Holy nonsense is God's way of getting our eyes off the problems, even off our solutions, and onto him. It's not about the rock. It wasn't about the water. It wasn't that it worked. It was just God saying, hey, just do whatever I tell you. It's just you and me. It's a relationship here. He is all that matters. When God prompts you to do some nonsense, it's not about the nonsense. There's no magic in it. It's not, about your, it's not about that thing. It's about him. So what? So what? There will be moments in the week ahead in your life this week when you will recognize that there is a challenge, an obstacle, a responsibility, something in front of you that demands more than you can provide. There will be things that you face that are just too much for you. It may not be fair. 
It may be totally unreasonable. You may not even deserve to be in the situation that you're in. And you can fight back, say, it's not my problem. Don't blame me. I didn't do it. You can say, I assume I assume the weight of this responsibility. I'll do it myself. I will, I, will, I will give you water. I will figure it out. I will grind. I will dig. I will sacrifice. I will find strength in myself to fix this. Or in that moment, you can do what Moses did and turn to God and ask him, what do you want me to do with these people? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Tell me what to do. You have to have a plan for this, God. You led me here. Now what? And God will have a solution for you. He has what it takes to solve the unsolvable. But here's the thing. Be prepared because he may ask you to do some holy nonsense. <laughs> and now at least we have a language for it. What are you doing? I don't know. This is just some holy nonsense. I just, why are you doing that? I, it's going to sound dumb, but I feel like God told me to do it. I don't know what to tell you. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm banging on a rock with a stick. And I'm thirsty. But when you sense it, when you sense God prompt you to do holy nonsense, be like first Moses. Do exactly what God says. Don't repeat. Here's the thing. Don't repeat what God had you do last time. Don't just default to what worked last time. Don't adjust it to make more sense in your mind. It has nothing to do with the form or the nonsense. It has everything to do with today, trusting God to do what he's prompting you to do today. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise so that all know this is God's doing. He is good and he is able. Listen, many times Moses was led to do some holy nonsense throughout his life. You can read the story. I mean, he, God told him to, to go to, to Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the land, who wanted Moses dead anyway because he grew up there and, and he had killed a, an, a, an Egyptian. He says, I want you to go back to the guy who hates you. I want you to demand that he release his entire slave workforce. It's nonsense. He says, Moses, I want you to lift your arms and, and with this stick in your hand, and the waters are going to split. Well, what? Moses, I want you to keep your hands up, and when you do, your armies are going to win the battle, and when they come down, they're going to lose. So just keep your arms up. What are you talking about? This is, this is nonsense. Moses, I want you to stay on a mountain for 40 days without food and water. Oh, that's nonsense. Throughout Scripture, we can find many people God prompted to do some holy nonsense. A follower of Jesus named Ananias was told to go find Saul, who was a man known for killing followers of Jesus. That's some nonsense. You want me to go find a guy who's probably going to kill me? What are you doing? A couple of fishermen were told to feed thousands of people with, with no money and barely any food. That's, that's nonsense, God. Peter, hey, get out of the boat. Walk on water. Joshua, hey, guess what? Just march in silence as a battle tactic. You just march around a city in complete silence. I mean, the art of war was not written yet, but I'm sure that was not one of the strategies in there. Two men were told to just take somebody else's donkey without, without even asking. Jesus said, hey, just go take that donkey. Was he advocating for stealing? This is nonsense. It's some weird stuff in the, in the scriptures. And over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to explore is some examples of holy nonsense that God has asked people throughout history to do. And for this purpose, because we're going to get to decide. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to decide whether we want to add our names to the list of people who attempted some holy nonsense because God prompted us. Because God can do what can't be done if we're willing to trust him. And it may make us look foolish, 
until it works. Until it works. See, that's, the, that's that trump card there. Because when you say, God, I'm doing this, but it looks stupid, and then all of a sudden there is water rushing out of a rock, people are going to go, what? And you're going to say, I know. It's God. He chooses to. He does it this way. And we're going to close with communion today. I'm going to invite the, the, just the band to come on up. We're going to close with communion because communion is a tradition in which we remember that Christ went to the cross for us. This may be the single greatest act of holy nonsense in human history, the cross. Think about this. God loved us so much, he was willing to do what seemed like nonsense to so many people. You go back and read that Corinthians passage, and it says this. If I can go back for, for a moment here. I'll get there. My notes. It says this. It is foolish to the Jews. When we preach Christ was crucified, they're offended. They're offended by this. How dare you say that Christ is the only way? It's offensive to some people. And to the Gentiles, they say it's all nonsense. This is dumb. You really believe this? You really believe in a God who came to this earth? That's, that's nonsense. So it's either offensive or it's nonsense. We live in a world that when we talk about Christ, this is the biggest pile of nonsense anybody has ever heard. You tell me God came to earth to die for us and you believe this stuff? See, we believe it's not nonsense. It's the, it's the foolish foolish way that actually reveals the power of God because it works because it worked because when Jesus died something happened we gained access directly to God no more mediaries no more no more no more did we need a priest to go before us we had access to the very presence of God ourselves it was absolute nonsense that God would leave heaven to come show off, to come show himself to a world that was most likely going to reject him, which many have. You can even say, God, what are you doing? Why, why don't you do it a different way? A God who is all-powerful could certainly snap his fingers and fix all the problems of sin and brokenness in the world. But he chose to submit himself to suffering because the goal has never been just to do the things but to be in relationship. God says, I want to know you. I want you to know me. By coming to earth, he said, I want you to gain an understanding of who I am. The Son reveals the Father. Christ crucified is offensive to some. It's nonsense to others. But to those called by God to salvation, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I'll show you power. Power is money. Power is influence. Power is control. It's the ab ability to do what you want. God says that is foolish. That is foolish. I will show you power. Power is to love, to forgive, to serve, and to sacrifice. 
As a result, none of us can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus, and for our benefit, God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. It is wisdom personified, the foolishness of God, wisdom personified. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. That is some holy nonsense right there. Sinful us, right with a holy God? Come on, we don't deserve that. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes will not perish but have life everlasting in him. just want to encourage you. Again, like we said before, God loves you. He loves you. He came all this way just to let you know it. Absolute nonsense. But it works. But it works. I invite you to take out the, the bread that you should have received. And if anybody didn't get communion, please just raise your hand. Our ushers are prepared to make sure that you received it. If you didn't get it, just make sure. I want to make sure everyone's been served. Everybody got Anybody need it? Anybody? Good? Okay. Good job. Let's give it up for your ushers. Good job, everybody. Getting everybody on the way in. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ, that he was obedient to do what he knew was going to be rejected by some, because he wanted to give us a chance to believe. That's how much God loved. He said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. That's what the bread reminds us of. So let's just take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread, for what it represents in our lives. Lord, you attempted holy nonsense long before you ever asked us to do it. Lord, you came to this earth. It wasn't advisable. It was dangerous. It cost you your life. But you did it willingly because you loved us so much. Help us never forget how much you love us. Every time we receive this communion together, God, let it be a reminder to us that you love us by name, individually, every single one of us. How much you love us, that when we share this together, it's a reminder you love us. We thank you. It's in your good name we pray. Let's eat together. In the cup, it represents his blood that he sacrificed. Because here's the truth, the reality. Obedience has a cost. There's a cost to this. When you do holy nonsense, people won't understand. It may hurt a little bit. Moses dealt with a lot of frustration through the years. When we do holy nonsense, we won't always be understood. Others may question may doubt, may ridicule. It may be tough. You may be abandoned by people you thought were with you. There's a cost. But Jesus sacrificed because he knew it was worth it. Because the good on the other side outweighed the pain on this side. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup we hold in our hands. It's a reminder that your blood was poured out for us. That there was a cost to you coming. You came in love, yet it, it resulted in pain. 
But the pain was not the end of the story. Lord, that there's a resurrection on the other side of that crucifixion. Lord, that that resurrection life far exceeded the life you laid down. And likewise, the things that we will lay down, the sacrifice that we will make, the, the price we will pay is far lesser than what we gain by trusting you, by putting our faith in you. Lord, there's eternal rewards on the other side of our obedience. Help us to always remember that. Thank you for that promise. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Let's drink.